This is The Lisa Show with Lisa Valentine Clark and Richie T. Welcome to The Lisa Show. Uh, despite being one of the richest countries in the world, there are still about 2 to 3% of children who don't have a bed. That's over 1 million children with no fault of their own, and they're uncomfortable every night of their lives as they sleep. So when Luke Mickelson discovered this, he decided to do something about it. And that's how Sleep in Heavenly Peace was born. What started in the back of his garage in 2012 is now spread to almost 300 chapters across the country and beyond. So today, we were excited to talk with the founder of the Dallas, Texas North chapter, Janine Stone, about what exactly Sleep in Heavenly Peace does, how we can all get involved um, to help create and make and ensure beds are uh, for everyone, uh, including all children. Welcome, Janine. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you for having me. So Sleep in Heavenly Peace is such a sweet name. Um, I'm wondering if we can just go back a little bit to to how okay. this organization was created when you think about all of the needs that a child might have. Why is a bed so important? Why is that the focus? A bed is important for quite a few reasons. Um, there's been a lot of studies done in the quality of sleep that can make a difference in the lives of children. Um, there's been a lot of misdiagnoses hmm. in children and their behaviors. You know, the quality of sleep can just give that boost that they need to pay attention in school or to just have the confidence and the amount of sleep that their brain needs to, to function. It's, mm -hmm. it's just really important on that level, as well as to feel safe, to have a routine, to have some place they can go at the end of the day and, you know, just relax and reset and recharge or to just feel like a normal kid that has a bed. Sure, sure. So when you uh, discovered this sort of organization, tell us a little bit about how it was created and and really all of the good that it's been doing uh, exponentially over the years. Um, well, I have been following Heidi Mickelson on Facebook. I actually grew up knowing her. So sharing her posts and liking her posts and commenting hey, that would be great. I hope something comes like this to Dallas. Um, and I just kind of kept watching. And in 2008 is when it really kind of exploded. And Mike Rowe, returning the favor, aired the show on Facebook. And a lot of chapters, people wanted to become chapter president. I wasn't aware at the time that in Fort Worth, about an hour away from me, a chapter was going to be started. So... At the time, that's when I wanted to get involved and go to build. And so that's what I did. And then when I decided I wanted to be more of it, be part, do more than just go to builds and clean up and set up, I joined the team and kept doing the builds and the setup and the cleanup. But then I got involved in the, the deeper part, the, the vetting, um, the deliveries, the coordination of of other things that go involved in that. And so when the Dallas chapter opened, um, which I'm just, I'm not the president. I just kind of help him organize things and do things for the Dallas chapter. And we're trying to make the Dallas chapter grow. And so what does the chapter look like right now? Right now we have about five or six core team members and we just kind of are trying to, we've had some corporate sponsor builds. We're trying to grow the team so we can get some um, public builds going and get the community involved and grow our team even more. But um, a couple of weeks ago, we just built 30 beds, which was a lot for a oh, team wow. our size and the amount of tools that we have, but we pulled it off. It took us a little longer than we had thought, and it was really hot, but we we did, and we delivered some of the, those beds that evening and are currently waiting to deliver some more beds. 
It's so interesting. I want to go back to something that you said just right at the beginning about the importance of a bed. You know, I think that a lot of people listening might think, well, you know, kids need a lot of things, you know, homes and food right. and good education and focusing on this one um, idea, as you mentioned, citing different uh, studies that show yeah, that quality of sleep is so important for, you know, their confidence and brain function and safety and routine. Right. Um, I, I'm wondering if you feel comfortable sharing an experience that, that you have had maybe with um, with delivering a bed and actually seeing the impact in an individual's life. Oh, there's, there's been a few. And when you think of, I mean, man, doesn't everybody have a bed? Um, no. <laughs> And you just don't think that it can happen in your community. Um, mm-hmm. There's been a couple deliveries. One delivery, we're setting up four beds in a total of two different bedrooms in this one house. And my teammate and I are in one room finishing up, and we hear this squealing from the other room. And we walk in, and this little girl, she's about six years old, she's hugging her pillow like as tight as she could. And I got to thinking, man, when's the last time I hugged my pillow? <laughs> Well, I may hug it every night, but not like that little girl did. Mm -hmm. She was so excited to have a pillow of her own and someplace to sleep. And there's just been deliveries where, you know, the children will be on the spectrum and their mom, you can just see it in their mom's face that it will make such a difference in, you know, how important it is for, you know, especially spectrum kids to stay on a schedule and to, to know what's coming next and, you know, when the mom can say, okay, it's time for bed, mm. you know, that child can, okay, tonight my bed is here. My bed is always going to be here. I can get under the covers. I don't have to worry about, you know, what clothes are missing in the pile of the corner to sleep on. It's, it's just, it's there. And it just makes life easier. Now, Janine Stone started the Dallas North chapter of Sleep in Heavenly Peace. We're talking about this nonprofit that's really focusing on giving children without beds places to sleep. I appreciate you talking about the importance of this organization and what it is that that, that you do and kind of the impact that it's had. I'd love to yeah. uh, talk to you now a little bit more about that uh, what happens beyond that, right? The, when when you talk with these families, when you talk with these kids, mm-hmm. and you spend time with these um, with, with these uh, children and um, beyond, and you see the that impact, what is that like? Sometimes you wonder what will you know happen in the weeks to come. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes we never hear anything from the families. Sometimes the families, you know, post a picture or you know, a message of gratitude or something on the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. But you you do just kind of wonder how one simple thing has impacted and possibly even changed the course of their life. But you don't you don't always know. But being a parent and seeing the things in my children's lives that change their course or make an impact, I can just imagine the impact that a bed and good yeah. quality sleep can make in their lives. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I can hear in your voice just the this care that, that you want to sort of reach out and beyond. But it seems to me that that the the real focus is just, you know, whatever comes before or after, your organization is just gonna solve this one simple need in a family's life. Is that right. how you see it? Um, you know, I guess when I think about it, yeah. Um, when Luke Mickelson started looking into this, he couldn't find anywhere or any place in the country that solved this problem. And there's an estimated 3% of the population of children that are bedless. And, you know, they say bedlessness may not be a real word, but it's a real problem. And so deciding to do something about it was yeah, you know, no kid sleeps on the floor in our town became our motto. Uh, and we're, he- we're here for the kids, you know, regardless of their situation. They have no control over the decisions that were either made for them or their parents or maybe even the decisions weren't made. They just happened. Yeah. <laughs> so we, yeah, it's just, it kind of is an amazing organization. And 
uh, you know, my son comes with me on builds and deliveries, and I want to show him that you guys, regardless of, you know, how bad you think you've got it, you, you've got it really good. And this is a chance to bless the lives of the child, uh, the families, the, you know, people we're delivering beds to. So if I know a, a child that doesn't have a bed or right. in my area, what do I do? You can go to shpbeds.org, and there's an option of a button to request a bed. Now, you can request a bed in behalf of someone or yourself. So there's, you know, two different ways. We get um, school counselors requesting beds in behalf of their uh, students, uh, stuff like that. When you click that button, it will take you to a list of, you know, find your local chapter. Mm-hmm. And so you'll want to find your local chapter. Hopefully there's one somewhat close by. If there's not, keep checking back. But, you know, you'll fill out the, the application and look for the delivery zone. They do zip codes for delivery zones. You know, some start small. Um, the Dallas chapter has, uh, I think, less than 50 um, zip codes. But, like, the Fort Worth chapter has 120 zip codes. Wow. Um, so that's how kind of we determine where we start delivering. And when you apply for a bed, someone will call you, check out the situation, kind of kind of bet the situation. Mm-hmm. And you may have to wait, but you'll get a bed. So depending on the beds we have in stock, how many builds we've done, you'll, you'll get a bed. But you might have to wait a little bit longer than we'd like. <laughs> what is that website again? SHP Beds. Org. Now, um, for those who are listening and are inspired by by your volunteerism, by the organization and all the good that it's doing, right. or is are inspired and think, you know, I know how to make beds <laughs> or I have money or <laughs> or resources to give. What's the best way for them to to either get involved in your organization or start their own? There's actually several different ways. Um, there's the main website, shpbeds.org. There's a option to click to volunteer, click to donate. There's an option to click to start your own chapter. Um, also on that web page where you go click to volunteer, you can find any chapter you want. It doesn't even have to be your local chapter. Mm-hmm. And so you click on whatever chapter you want. There's the options again, donate, uh, volunteer. Every chapter should have their own Facebook page. So they can search up Facebook page and see what they need. A lot of chapters throw up requests on Facebook page. You know, hey, we need vinegar. We use vinegar and steel wool to make the stains for the bed. Or we're having a build day. Um, We'd love some water. Or, hey, we need bedding. So there's not just the option to send money. But you can give something tangible. And I know a lot of people like to give tangible things Mm -hmm. because they know it's like goes right to so wherever they decide to donate or get involved or help, and every chapter, I'm sure they're always looking to grow their core team uh-huh. of people who want to do more on a continual basis. But it's, kind of, it's very flexible on what people may want to give or their time or any way that they can at their seasons, times and seasons in their lives. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you found out about this organization and got involved through social media and and continue to to spread awareness to that. Just, uh, you know, as a final question, I'd I'd just love to know what it is that we could do uh, in sort of that area to to help your organization. Well, I know it would be great when people like and follow and um, share posts on Facebook. That is a good way to get the word out you make that post public and there's anyone can see it so it shows up on people's feeds oh you may like this this person commented or liked or it allows people to share and get the word out and they can then oh well this post is from you know a new york chapter i wonder if there's a chapter where i live and you know they can search it up and it's just a huge it opens up that huge avenue and venue for the thought process to kind of connect the dots and find their way to where they might want to go. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for bringing our attention to uh, this organization and uh, really help helping us understand the, the the problem and what you guys are doing to solve it. We appreciate your time, Janine. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Jeannie uh, Stone, she started the Dallas North chapter of Sleep in Heavenly Peace. That's that nonprofit that we've been talking about, focusing on giving children without beds a place to sleep. That website, again, is shpbeds.org. We found out about them through justserve.org. Um, you can enter your zip code and find different opportunities to serve there. Thank you so much for your time. Coming up, more of The Lisa Show. This is The Lisa Show. Stocks are a really great way to earn a passive income. And it's well known that the longer you leave your money in, the more money you'll earn. So with that in mind, buying stocks for kids can be a great idea so that they'll have a little extra money saved up when they're older. But how can we go about investing for our kids? And what are the pros and cons of doing so? Well, here to answer all of our questions today is Liz Frazier, family financial planner and friend of the show. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be back. Okay, so I want to just dive right into this because uh, no matter what your background is with investing or stocks, this has got to be an idea that's in the back of parents' minds. And and I'm wondering what the reasons are that parents might buy stocks for their kids and, and what some of the basic benefits are. Well, I, I, you know, I agree. I think that it is probably in the mind of a lot of parents, um, but I think that the hesitation is that it's probably pretty intimidating because yeah. um, it's intimidating just for parents and for people, adults in general. Um, but, you know, I think that adults see that one of the best ways to kind of get ahead with their savings when you look at inflation rates and, you know, the very, very small percentage that you make on savings, I think that most parents probably see the best way to get ahead is um, by investing in the stock market. And, you know, that's when you look at the amount of time, if you start when your kids are young, I'm uh -huh. sure parents are thinking, God, if I start this now in 20 years, you know, there's such exponential growth over yeah. the years that, you know, this would be a great opportunity just to get them, you know, get them started in life when they get older. Um, it's also a great learning, learning tool. So, you know, there's a lot of benefits. I mean, the, the savings is the obvious one. The making money off of it is the obvious one. Um, but also, it's a great way to get your kids used to and comfortable with, um, you know, financial tools like investing, which is a huge one. And it just gets them, it exposes them to finance and to the stock market and to the importance of your money making money. I mean, that's, it's really important because if they're in a savings account, you're actually losing money over the years when you look at inflation rates. So oh, it's, it's, yeah. I'm all for teaching kids. This. Well, I want to I want to dive down a little bit deeper into this idea about how you use stocks and the stock market to teach kids about investing wisely. Let's talk about what that really means. So, you know, if you are if you're a parent and you're looking to teach your kids about investing, you know, the best way is just to jump right in. And, and there's a mm -hmm. lot of different ways we can do that. And we, we can talk about that also. But you know, let's say the obvious one is your parents have the, the parents have an account and they decide that they're going to buy some stocks for their kids. Well, you know, the first part is you're going to explain to them what is a stock and you can talk to your kids in ways that they'll understand. So, you know, let's say that your kids have, you know, Nike shoes that they love or if they're younger and they've got Disney toys that they love. Talk to them about that company and say, you know, that company, you know, these dolls were made by Disney or these shoes were made by Nike. And these companies have stocks and that's ownership of a company. So if you've got a hundred, if Nike, let's say, has a hundred shares of a stock total of their company total and you buy one of them, you've got one percent, you own one percent of their company. And so, you know, you can start by just talking to them about the companies behind the stocks. You know, when the company does well and they come out with a new shoe that does really, really well and all of your friends have bought them, the stock is going to go up. 
but let's say that it comes out with a shoe that hurts people's feet and it does really poorly and the company has a lot of um, bad media around it, then that company's stock is going to go down. So you can start even before you buy the stock, start explaining the background before, but behind um, the stock market and, and what a stock is. And then once you actually get into it and buy them a stock, let's say you buy them a, sh- a couple shares of Nike. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a great, it's really fun for kids to watch this because you can um, watch it with your kids. You can track it every week to show, you know, what the price is doing. Anytime that something happens in the media or something happens with the company, you can say, oh, let's see how this is affecting the stock. So it not only is teaching them about the ways that they can make money through the stock market and just get them comfortable with it. But you're also teaching them some important things around the stock market. The most, the, the probably one of the biggest factors when it comes to investing is risk and risk mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. rewards. And kids can kind of start getting an idea of what are they comfortable with? You know, what is their risk tolerance? I mean, everybody has a risk tolerance and it's different yep. for everybody. You know, some kids early on might be like, no, mom, let's Go for it. This yeah. is so great. You know, roll I, the dice, mom. Yeah, let's the, go. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. You know, so they might be really excited about it. But some kids, I know my daughter would, she has zero risk tolerance. So okay. if that stock hmm. went down five cents, she is going to be like, nope, cash out. We're done. No, we're, you know, there's, mm-hmm. she has no risk tolerance. So, you know, that's one of, I mean, I tell my adult clients, that's one of the most important factors to consider before you invest is what is your risk tolerance? And you have to know that if there's a chance of high reward, there's just as much chance for high risk. You know, people hearing this conversation may not be experienced themselves as adults investing in stocks. What's a, a great way for them to get educated and then enter into this world of purchasing stocks for themselves or for their kids? You know, I I think it's actually a little different for adults versus kids. For kids, I think that getting the one stock of a company that they're familiar with is a great way to do it. If a parent is looking just to educate themselves, purely educate themselves, I think that that works also. They can just buy a stock and, you know, a couple shares in a company um, that they're familiar with and watch it as well. But I do actually recommend if adult is looking to actually invest and they just want to get into the stock market and Uh feeling like their money's making money. I just recommend a simple index fund or a simple mutual fund, which is just all that is is a basket of different types of stocks and bonds. Because when you invest, you don't want to put, you know, it's the eggs in one basket. It's literally eggs in one basket. You don't want to put all of your money into one stock because what if that stock tumbles? then you lose all of your money. So you want to make sure you're diversified, which all that means is your money is across a couple different types of stocks um, who are all different industries. So mm-hmm. if one goes down, maybe another one goes up, and it just keeps your money safe. But a mutual fund will do that for you. So it or an index fund um, will do that for you. And it's a basket of funds that automatically diversifies your money. And that's just the simplest way to start investing as an adult. For kids, that's not going to make as much sense, and it's not as much of a learning tool. Um, For adults, it's a great investing tool. If you're just jumping in on our conversation, we're talking about stocks for kids and how and why you should buy stocks for your kids and the benefits of of doing so with Liz Frazier, friend of the show, uh, who's a financial planner. And I appreciate you laying that out about what would be a good way to introduce stocks and and what the benefits are, and not just savings, obviously, and making money, but just really exposing them to this kind of language and, and thought process. And now I'd really like to turn our conversation into that sort of delicate issue of parent involvement about how involved you should be. And as that kind of grows and as your uh, conversations about money with your kids changes and grows, how involved should you really stay with that? You know, I think it really depends on the child. It depends, you know, partly on the age, but really on the maturity of the child, of the um, understanding the child has of money and the stock market. I mean, I say always don't invest more than you're willing to lose. Um, right, because this is real money we're talking about. This isn't just, it's, you know, play money. Exactly. It's real money. So I think in the beginning, you know, it's up to the parent. It's up to their for their level of comfort. But 
just tell your child, don't, we're not going to put in any more money than we're willing to lose. So, you know, if we want to put in a hundred dollars, we have to be okay losing that. And so if you've got that mentality going in, parents can feel a little bit more comfortable stepping back. So I think that, you know, it's the same for, for anything when it comes to money or, or really anything when it comes to teaching your kids when it's, when they're on a bike, you know, you start out and you hold the bike and you don't want them to fall off, but eventually you start letting go a little bit. So I think that you start out, you can, you know, you can do it. We haven't talked about the specific ways, uh-huh. but I can dive into that. They, sure. You know, you start out, um, there's a couple ways you can do it. A parent can just open up a custodial account for mm-hmm. their child, or they can just have um, an account that, that their name is on, but it's for their child. Um, so, you know, that's a pretty easy way to do it. But then there's also companies like uh, Stockpile, which is a great, great company um, for kids because you can buy fractional shares. So you can say, oh. you know, I only have $20 to invest. Well, normally you can't buy half of a share of a company, but in Stockpile you can. You can do fractional shares, which is great, and it's super kid-friendly. So that's a that's a great way to get started. So I think that in the beginning, you know, you start out, you do it together. You start for the first couple of weeks tracking it together, you know, doing mm-hmm. research together, understanding. But after a little bit, I think that you let your child kind of do it on their own. And if they get allowance and they want to maybe buy a little bit more, I think that as long as they know they can lose it, it's a great tool for kids to start learning how to invest. Now, let's uh, let's bring into this conversation the idea of parent tax, where if we give the original <laughs> investment to the kids as they become, you know, thousandaires and then millionaires, what's, what's our right to glean <laughs> off of the top of this whole thing? I mean, I think that that's pretty much parents get the lion's share of that, right? right. You're the one teaching. <laughs> I'm all for that. And it's funny. I always say to parents, I'm like, you know, we're not, our, our intent is not to um, raise the next Warren Buffett, but gosh, if we do, awesome. That's great. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> then we're set also. <laughs> where, where do you feel like the, the biggest, um, like, uh, disconnection is as we are teaching our kids about stocks? Where, where are the bumps in the road going to be? I think the biggest bump in the road when anything with finance, but specifically for the stock market, is that um, parents don't understand it. Adults are intimidated by the stock market. Adults are intimidated by investing. And it's for good reason. You know, nobody makes this simple. Nobody makes it easy. If you listen to people who talk finance, I mean, I get intimidated when I hear, Mm -hmm. you know, certain professionals talking about the stock market. I'm like, what are they talking about? Why is this so confusing? So it can be um, it can be very complicated, but it doesn't have to be. So I think that for adults, the biggest hurdle is going to be just taking that first step. You know, I think that they have to they have to have the confidence and know that they can understand this and they can do this. They just have to take that first step because it's not that complicated. And, you know, when I explain it to my clients and they're like, I don't even know how to go about starting, I say, you just open up an account. And yeah. you you just buy you just buy something, and they're like, "Wow, that's it, yeah, that's it." So, I think that's always going to be the biggest hurdle. You know, um, the other hurdle is that we've just as parents, we've got so much on our plate. Right. I mean, really, we've got so much on our plate. I mean, just trying to get more broccoli into your kids and teaching <laughs> them know. good manners yeah. and sharing with their sister. I mean, really, we have to also teach them investing on top of that, but. You know, it's one of those things that um, just like a lot of the big conversations that we have as parents with our kids when they're younger, investing in finance, this is something that will make a difference for the rest of their lives. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, having being financially smart um, and understanding how to grow and save your money is really that's um, a life changer. When you get older. So it's, it's really it is important to start exposing your kids so that they're not intimidated when they get older. Liz Frazier, a family financial planner, director of financial education uh, for Get Copper. You can go to getcopper.com, uh, get the copper banking app and check her out at lizfrazier.com. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to The Lisa Show.
when was the last time that you were having a conversation and it became clear to you in your mind that you weren't really getting your point across, whether it was you weren't saying the the right words and communicating in the right way or the person who you were talking with, whether they were at work or in your family, um, wasn't really understanding what it was that you were trying to communicate. That feeling of frustration of trying to get that idea across or feeling like the intention of what you were saying behind the words wasn't being effective. That frustrating feeling is something I think that we all want to avoid, but how do we do that? I mean, because there is no such thing as a solid relationship without effective communication. So whether it's in your workplace or your school or your home, you have to be able to bring your thoughts across to another person. So today we thought it would be really great to have a conversation with someone whose job it is to bring a message across to tell us about effective communication and why paying attention is so vital to that communication. So Jeanette Brown is the president of Excellence and Presence Communication, and she's an expert on understanding really about paying attention, being present, and finding unique approaches to help us communicate with others. Thank you so much for joining us, Jeanette. Thank you so much for having me. What now, a wonderful introduction. <laughs> good. Well, I, I'm really curious about these, you know, unique approaches, because I think that if we are all honest with ourselves, and if we think about sometimes we are effective in communication and sometimes we're not. And it's hard, I think, sometimes to pinpoint what goes wrong because we have so many conversations all the time. So I'd like to start really there because a lot of people think that they're effective communicators when they're really not. Um, why, why is that? And where do you think we go wrong? So I, I think uh, a couple of things about uh, being an effective communicator. Um, for one, I, the, the biggest and most important thing is to listen. Mm-hmm. And not, not listen to respond, but listen to, um, with the intention to respond, but listen to truly hear what a person is saying. And sometimes what they're trying to even communicate to you isn't clear. And, um, and you need to either read body language or understand the context of a situation. But listening is the, is the first and most important thing. The, the second is um, I think people are so close to what it is that they – I even do this sometime, believe mm-hmm. it or not, um, as an effective communicator. <laughs> They're so close to the content that they don't take a step back and think, you know, at what point in this conversation should I start? And then where do I insert the specific point I'm trying to get across? So backing into the discussion, providing context, not providing too much context. And I think that uh, understanding who your audience is the second most important thing. And third is what is the goal you're trying to achieve? So um, that is one, two, three in terms of being an effective communicator. And um, I think if you at least start with those uh, guardrails or that framework in any conversation, whether it be love relationships, business, or even communicating with children, um, I think that that is uh, that's the best way to approach it. Well, I, I love that you have a three-point you know, system to this. It seems a little bit easier to, to sort of organize in our minds. So let's start with number one, this idea of listening to hear. Uh, you also mentioned reading body language and context. So I'd love for you to explain a little bit better because um, how, how do we know we're, we're good at this? So uh, you know that you're good at it when the intention in which you are trying to communicate is received in that way. I uh, oftentimes, if you are um, talking to someone and uh, you know they may, you know, their body language may shift and their arms are folded and they become uh, defensive or they respond in a way that you're thinking, well, why is this person upset or why are they laughing when I'm talking about a serious topic or why are they upset mm-hmm. when I'm talking about something in a lighthearted way? That something that you communicated with them, probably it could have been a word, it could have been um, the tone of your voice. Um, so I think uh, depending on what the message is, I always say if you are smiling when talking, people can hear it over the phone and they can even hear it 
Um, they can even see it in person. So if there is a positive message you're trying to communicate, cues like smiling and um, and sometimes even being animated with your um, with your message is uh, in a positive way is mm-hmm. uh, is great. I think when you are communicating something serious and um, you want it to be received with some level of authority, perhaps you would speak a little calmer. It's more of a hush tone. You're not yelling. Um, and I think all of those things, finding a balance between the tone of your voice, um, observing body language, understanding what the intention is, and mm-hmm. truly understanding the audience. Um, the best example I could give is I was uh, teaching a few students, um, uh, volunteering and teaching some students mm-hmm. in my community a few months ago, and I realized that the skill set that I needed to communicate with these um, adolescents, you know, 12 to 16-year-olds were the same skills that I needed in the boardroom when communicating with CEOs and, and C-suite <laughs> executives. Um, and uh, and, and it's, it sounds a lot simpler than it may be to execute, but I think if you at least practice with the three steps, you would have started from a great place and um, and at least started on the road of effective communication. Yeah. Being- and, and, and I'm struck about how it's just such a great way just to sort of keep yourself in check as you're thinking of, uh, about approaching maybe a difficult conversation. And, and before we get to step two, I, I want to ask you about the mode of communication, right? So I think sometimes we apply the same principles, whether we're in person or texting or on the phone, while they're very different um, modes of communication. So how do you account for these changes? Wow. Okay. So testing and, <laughs> We're getting and into writing. It. <laughs> we know, yeah, it's a tricky one. And, and, and yes, because we've all seen a text message and caps and the perception is, is this person yelling? Yeah. And actually, no, the only way this person, you know, has figured out how to sum their message is writing in all caps and it's just the, the, you know, just the best way that they are getting their message across or it's sometimes it's terse and it's really short and you're like, whoa, I didn't even get a good morning. It was more of like, pick this up and make sure yeah. you bring it home. Right. So I think, um, I think those cues in, in texting specifically are being uh, aware of punctuation and honestly inserting emojis. I know that Maybe 10 years ago, I would have told someone I was working with that it wasn't appropriate in, a, in an email. Uh-huh. I think today, dropping in that smiley face can really make a difference. Okay, you've heard uh, it here first yeah. here on the Lisa Show. We're using emojis to effectively communicate, you guys. We've made the decision. That is kind of surprising and difficult for people. Why do you, why do you say is. that Like that's important? I think it's important because um, I think today's age, communication has changed so much through the years. I think we've become less formal, and um, mm-hmm. but still in the way of conducting business, especially during a pandemic when everyone's yeah. working from home and and um, and we're communicating via email or text or even text. I text with a lot of my clients, and it's just the fastest and the quickest way to get a message across. And sometimes, even if it's short. A smiley emoji will, you know, okay, exclamation mark, smiley face means perfect, got the message, and I'm happy about it. Um, and I think that as opposed to just saying okay, you're kind of leaving a person hanging with no um, no idea on whether okay you can give me the presentation by 10 <laughs> right. or, you know, you are going to make it here on time. So I think, um, you know, adding a bit of, of emotion um, in the same way you would smile when delivering a message or speak softly when you want to make sure that your message is communicated with the serious intent in which um, you're trying to get it across. So um, all of those cues uh, are important. Such and again, I think the final thing is mm-hmm. knowing your audience, you know, um, knowing who you're talking to and what the context is makes all of the difference. If you're just jumping in on the conversation, we're talking with Jeanette Brown, who is the president of Excellence and Presence Communications, about communication and how to do it effectively, no matter who you're talking with, where you are. I appreciate you laying out that groundwork um, for how 
how you even organize your communication thoughts. Number one, to listen. Uh, number two, to, are you too close to the content or how close you are? And then what is your goal? So I'd like to just to circle back to what you just said about knowing your audience. I, this is something that I talk to my kids about a lot. You know, when they talk to me, maybe like they would talk to their friends or vice versa. I said, you guys got to know your audience here before you, you know, make your case or, or try to communicate something. What is it about being too close to the content that we have that makes it difficult to communicate? So I, I think the biggest thing is um, is having so much of the information that you don't understand what is important about it or what is it that you need to share um, to effectively communicate. And I'll give you an example. I always use the the five W's, right? Who, what, when, where, okay, how may not be one, but but you get the point. Yeah, we we let, we count it. Anyway, go on. Yes. (laughs) Right, right. So, um, so kind of bringing, bringing those five points together from, you know, for the last, you know, 22 years in my PR career, that is usually the, the paragraph, the sentence, that I, I pull together to share with any audience that I'm communicating with. Mm. So my, what you know, what's my goal? So what is it? It is a product launch. You know, how is it being launched? It's going to be launched in retail stores across the country. When on Tuesday at 5 p.m. You know how? Um, I, I don't know. Whatever major brand is showing sure. up and handing them out for free, and why? Why? Because this is the best thing ever. It's nutritious. It's mm-hmm. whatever that thing is. You you kind of pull it all together, and then maybe you know you talk about oh well actually it's pro- scientifically proven that this X Y Z is. Those are the things that when you kind of can get into the weeds that you may be most excited about, like yeah. it's never been created before, mm-hmm. but. Sometimes it's the extra detail that you, you want to get someone engaged and you want to hook them with the, the five points as fast as possible. And then you can dive into all the things that excite you um, and uh, or excite or would excite someone based on the questions that they ask. So kind of sit back, hand it to them, and then you're like, okay, what else? What else do you need? And and sometimes that guide would also help you understand how well you are communicating. Again, and this hmm. works with your children also, right? Right, because <laughs> it helps your thoughts stay organized. That's what I'm it, trying to think of. Like, what am I trying to communicate? Running through that list of who, what, where, when, why, how can be right. very helpful. Right, right. I want to get my son to bed at 8 o'clock. Yeah. How? Maybe I'll give him 10 minutes of screen time after he's done eating dinner uh-huh. and uh, tell him he has to get to get in the bed by 7.50 so that 8 p.m. is when, you know, lights are out. It's, I mean, there's a lot of planning, and, and I doesn't, it never happens this easy. If you have children, you know. Um, right. <laughs> well, you know that you that know, is right? the hardest relationship to communicate with, right? Right. <laughs> In many right. cases. So the, right. So then you expect more from your colleagues at work and CEOs in the boardroom, right? But, yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, well, and so that's... I think that that it definitely helps. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that brings us to the third point when you say, you know, what is the goal here? You know, what is it that you want? Maybe sometimes that is is easier to think in a in, in a work situation than it is in personal relationships. What's your opinion on that? So in a work relationship, I think, you know, the goal is always business. And the idea is to, you know, to remove all emotion. It's kind of the rule that I've I've uh, been guided by throughout my career. I think any HR person will, you know, every company wants to understand profitability. How are they getting their message across? Uh-huh. And how are people continuing to be productive? And I think in business, it's removing the emotion, um, but still understanding that people have feelings and the tone in which you deliver a message, the um, the constructive criticism, even sometimes, which can be helpful. It all depends on how it's delivered. Um, yeah. It can be um, can be helpful to to helping foster a good relationship. Um, when it comes to personal, you may want to lead with an emotional uh, or some sort of emotion. I understand how you're feeling. Um, I I see how that can make you um, sad or 
you know, I want my intention is for you to be happy. You know, what can I do? I think uh, trying to understand the other person's perspective, whether it's in business or in a personal relationship, using those same uh, steps uh-huh. will help get you there. And, and again, less maybe less emotion in business, but again, the lines are more and more blurred as, as the world, even in business, becomes even less formal. Uh-huh. Um, but I think just kind of understanding someone else's perspective and asking them straightforward, you know, what is it? And don't expect them to tell you what it is. They may give you a roundabout answer, but mm-hmm. try to deduct to the best of your ability what is it that I can do to help this person? I think if you lead with the intention to help and solve, you will nine times out of ten come to a solution. I think that's so vital. Uh, and so I just kind of want to repeat it. Like, it, it, what can I do to help you? You know, what is it that this other person wants? Seeing it from their perspective can change the whole tone of the conversation and communication. Yes, yes, because you, you don't show up as someone trying to trying to enforce your opinion or you know, push them to do something they don't want to do. You're really trying to understand and, and hopefully you both can meet um, in the middle ground yeah. and, um, and come up with a, a way to communicate and, be, and both be happy. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, no matter who we're co- talking with, we, we all, it seems, want to have effective communication. Where do you see this going wrong in, in most cases? What frustrates you, you know, in, in your experiences? I would say uh, people not listening or being open to another perspective. Okay. Um, and I think that, that those, are, those are probably the biggest. Um, it's just seeing things from one perspective. And um, I think when I remember when uh, it was all about millennials and coming into the workforce mm-hmm. and now it's all about Gen Z and, right. and as these populations get older, work Styles change, business change, conversations change. And, and um, I remember there was a point even, I think it was topic in business was the, the different generations kind of bumping heads or not. How do you communicate to them? And brands spend thousands of dollars yeah. trying to understand what makes each of these groups tick. And I think because of that, we at least know that we're seeing things differently. You know, mm-hmm. we, I, I, the best example I always give is yes. uh, when I started my career in PR, there was one computer in the office that had the <laughs> internet and the internet, and the interns were on it. Um, and, you know, and then here we are today where if you don't have the internet, you know, it's almost like, are you even keeping up with communications and being effective in it? So um, yeah. I, I think that's the most important thing is truly understand that we all have different perspectives and cultural backgrounds and we come from different places and learn differently. And I think once you understand that and that you're accepting of differences, finding a solution in the middle ground is is a lot easier. Yeah. And approaching all of your relationships or your communication patterns like this, it just has a universal applicability. I I just, I feel like that sometimes we think that it's so separate. I only have time for one question. Uh, And, and in that I'd love, I'd love for you to talk just a a little bit about how this applies in our personal lives and not just in business. Right. So, so in our personal lives, I think it, it is similar, but we are usually charged with emotion and, and that can Mm -hmm. overtake our clear process of thinking. And I do, I know that this sounds like, oh, it's just rolling it off. One, two, three, sure. Yeah. And my <laughs> friends and family would probably tell you, Jeanette, you know what? That sounded great, but I remember that one time. I think we just need to give ourselves, right? We well, listen, we're all like that, right? Right, right. Just give ourselves some, some you know, grace and, and, and just say, you know, maybe I got it wrong this time, but if the intention is there to do, um, to communicate effectively and improve each step, I think you'll get closer to to effectively communicating, especially in love relationships where there's usually finding a balance and sometimes even compromises, depending on who you ask about what what a great relationship, love relationship is for them. Great um, advice. Give and take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for our wonderful conversation, Jeanette. I appreciate you being able to communicate very effectively today. <laughs> Thank you. I hope so. I don't get it right all the time. Just want you to know, but we're all trying. Try. Definitely try. Yeah.
Jeanette Brown is the president of Excellence and Presence Communication, and uh, you can find out more about her and her firm, her message at excellencepresence.com. Just a quick reminder that we are here. We are available. (laughs) We're on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook with uh, a show shows that we've done or stories. And and we are asking you to get involved and to make that sort of connection with us. A lot of times the kinds of topics that we are discussing affect you in your everyday life. And so being able to have a conversation about that and what has helped you, what um, you are still curious about, what you still struggle with, what you still think about, other questions that have popped up as a result of that conversation are really interesting to us and help us to be able to make our conversation fuller and, mm. and have more meaning. Obviously, you can go to the Lisa Show at byu.edu to email us anytime. If you're feeling, listen, I don't want to put my information or my, you know, suggestion or feedback to the whole world on mm-hmm. social media. And I get that. So email us at the Lisa Show at BYU.edu. But if you also just want to send a quick message of, of, hey, I appreciated this, or, you know, I had a follow-up question about this particular interview you did, or this perspective, or I heard something, maybe a suggestion for something to watch or eat or, or to be entertained by, and I concur. I just want to give my voice in echo to it. It could help somebody else as well. Uh, I, and with that, and and I, you sort of spoke to it, but I want to speak very directly to it. Give us some context because there are hours upon hours of the Lisa show oh, sure. available. <laughs> and sometimes you'll say something like in an email or a direct message, you'll say something like, the other day you were talking about parenting. Yeah. And, and and very quickly I go, this will be fun and kind of make it like a, a, a you know, a mystery or a, a treasure hunt. If you can give us an idea of you were speaking with so-and-so, if you're going to reference one yeah. of our episodes, uh, if you are uh, looking for a particular thing and you can remember when about it was that you were listening, that helps us as well. We just want to be able to get you whatever you're after. And so any sort of context, any sort of clues that you can get us as you are asking for things from us, we'd love to have that. It's the Lisa Show at BYU.edu or the Lisa Show wherever you social media lies. Not sure that's a word, but I'm making it a word. Uh, We hope to connect with you soon. Thank you for listening to The Lisa Show. If you were unaware, I need you to know that we have a podcast available for you to subscribe to wherever you get podcasts. You find The Lisa Show, click the button that says subscribe. That way you know you'll never miss a minute of this show. Just hop on over to the BYU Radio app. It's free. It's easy to download. And then you'll find all the content from The Lisa Show that you're looking for. And we don't play favorites. It's available on all the application stores that you could ever want. Search BYU Radio app and be sure that you download it. Free, like Lisa mentioned. I mean... The, the only way that we could make this easier is if you let me borrow your phone and right. downloaded it for you. And I'm not going to do that. But we would love to hear from you. We want you to be part of our community. We're all over social media, but you can email us specifically at thelisashow at byu.edu. Be sure you put your topic in the subject line. It's thelisashow at byu.edu. Thank you for making The Lisa Show a part of your day.